So if you would, take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for joining us. It's a privilege to have you in our service. We've, a few weeks ago, started going through the, the book of, of Colossians. And Colossians is one of, the, one of those books that, uh, really, we could say the whole Bible is focused on Jesus. But in the book of Colossians, Paul really delves into uh, Jesus Christ, and particularly here in chapter 1, the importance of Christ having the preeminence in our life, not just a, a part of our life, not just to, to be some aspect of our life, just like uh, our job or our family or something, but he is to, to be that first place, that, that preeminent one, and, and, and really be a part of or permeate our whole uh, being in every aspect of our life. There, there's no compartmentalizing uh, our Christian life from our secular life, and if you're in Christ, that's who you are, and he is to be that first place in your life. And as we've been going through Colossians, we, we've seen that. And, and today, the, the topic really is, is continuing this idea of Christ being preeminent, bring, being the priority in your life. Now, every message I preach is important, right? I mean, every message I preach is important. And, and it's vital, and it's the most important message. But can I tell you, probably the most important message for the world to hear is obviously the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But probably this passage of Scripture is one of the most important passages of Scripture for us as believers to get a hold of. And, and I can't emphasize more today on the importance of of the message that we're about to, to hear and go through here in, in the book of Colossians. So listen, listen, if you're thinking about lunch, listen, tune in right here, okay? If you're thinking about your grocery list or uh, your kids have been misbehaving this morning, your attention is somewhere else. Uh, listen, if you're a believer in Christ here today, I, I really want you to focus in, not, not, on, not on what I'm saying for say, but really focus in on, on the word of God this morning and what Paul is reiterating to us. And, and really, I want you to get a hold of, of Paul's mindset because I truly believe if we as believers could get a hold of Paul's mindset right here in Colossians chapter 1, it would revolutionize our families, it would revolutionize our church, and would make such a tremendous impact uh, in the world today. But I truly believe this is a weak spot uh, in the church, in the modern days in which we live in today, uh, this is an area where we struggle. And, and, and I, I think, I really think this will be a help. I hope that you'll get a hold of it today. Let's pray and we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for the wonderful mystery of Christ and the gospel. And, and Lord, we thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have through him. And Lord, I pray that if somebody is here today that has never accepted Christ, may today be that day in their life. But Lord, I pray that through your word this, this morning, you would, Father, convict us and challenge us in our faith and our walk with you. Lord, may you truly be preeminent. And may we commit today to serve you to the best of our ability throughout our days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Paul is writing about Jesus, the one thing that, that comes out in this passage is Paul's attitude towards serving, 
towards save, serving the Savior. His mindset was one of such that in every aspect of his life, he understood that at the focus of that, he was to serve Jesus. Paul, in this passage of Scripture that, that David read just a few moments ago, he tells us that he has been called to be a minister. Two times in this passage, there at the end of verse 23, and then in verse 25, he says, I, Paul, am made a minister. And then in verse 25, whereof I am made a minister. And Paul knew that God had called him to be what he called him to be. And he, he knew that God had called him to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be a, a faithful steward. Now, we, we oftentimes use the term Christian in our life today. Well, are you a Christian? Well, sure, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I go to church, right? I'm a Christian or, or I teach Sunday school. And, and listen, none of those things make you a Christian. If you've turned from your sin and by faith received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are now in Christ. You are a Christian and he is your Savior and he is to be preeminent uh, and be first place in your life. But throughout the New Testament, the Bible gives us many different terms about who we are in Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors, and that means we're to be representatives of Christ. Paul says oftentimes, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is to be consumed with serving the Lord. And so just as Paul was an ambassador, just as Paul was a servant, so we in, as believers today are to be ambassadors and servants of the Lord. In this passage of scripture and in other places, Paul uses the terminology steward. I am a steward. Paul realized that he was entrusted and he was now the manager of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that he was gonna go away and, and after that the Holy Spirit was gonna come upon them and they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. They were to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. That was their responsibility. And Paul got a hold of this and he said, listen, to me, I have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ and now I am responsible then to take that message forward. I am a, I am a steward. And so today, as a, as a steward of Jesus Christ, what is a steward? We we see that terminology throughout scripture. Really the idea is as a manager, everything that we have, everything that we own belongs to God and we are just uh, to use it for his honor and for his glory. And so the title of our message today is serving the Savior as a faithful steward. We are to serve the Savior. And there's several things from this passage that I want you to see from Paul's point of view or from his mindset that really should be the same mindset for those of us that are believers here today. Number one, I want you to see Paul's priority. As a servant of Jesus Christ, Paul's priority was not the things of this world, which we get so wrapped up in. We're so consumed with the, the political landscape of our day, uh, the financial issues of life, the, the material things of this world. The priorities of our life are just really, for many of us, let's be honest, it's just to survive the day, right? Like if you're a teacher here today, 
you're just trying to survive your class today. Like you, you don't want to kill anybody, hit anybody else's kids. You just want to get through the day, right? And, and we kind of get in that mold. If you're a police officer, law enforcement, you're just trying to survive your shift and get back home to your family. If you're, if you're an electrician, you're just trying to figure out the problem and just get through the day without your customers, you know, giving you a bad Google review or something like that or being angry. I mean, we come to this mindset where we just are in just survival mode and we're just trying to, trying to get through the day. And that's, for many, become our priority. For others, our priority is, you know, the, the financial wealth of this world. Man, we, 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 we do everything we can to, to gain more uh, of this world. And God understood in our flesh that's going to be our mindset, and that's why he tells us not to seek the things of this world, but to seek the things which are above and, and set our affections on things above. And, and he tells us over and over, get your heart right and on the right things in life, the things that, that matter. And so as we're reading this passage, look back with me if you would in verse uh, number 23, we see Paul's priority here. At the end of verse 23, he says, I, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, talking about the gospel, he says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. I want you to see, first and foremost, Paul's priority was serving the Savior was Paul's priority was serving the Lord. He says, I have been made a minister. And so the most important thing to Paul was being a minister for Jesus Christ. Listen to these other ways that he said this. Philippians 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, I, hey, listen, I want to serve God so much. I want to serve God so much that he's magnified through my life. You know, you magnify something in your life. I magnify something uh, in, out of, in my life. You know, most of you in here today, if, if they're to mention my name to you, there's certain things that will that will come up, right? For Marty Landers, it's going to be Alabama football, right? Or Alabama basketball. It's going to be, I'm an Alabama, man, Pastor Stephen's an Alabama fan. I mean, he's a, he's a big time Alabama fan and uh, we want to rub it in when they lose and I mean, hey, listen, and uh, we want to make fun of him even if they win. He's an Alabama fan. For some of you, it's golf. Pastor Stevens loves golf. For some of you, it's basketball. He loves, he loves basketball and, and there's things that we magnify. For some of you, it's your career and for some of you, it's your, it's your children and, and there's things in our life that we, we, listen, we all magnify something in our life. For some of you, it's selfishness. Let's be honest. For some of you, it's pride and, and it's arrogance. And then when people think about you, that's what, that's what you magnify. You magnify selfishness and pride and arrogance and, and, and those type of traits because that's, that's, that's how you act and that's who you are. Paul says, listen, in my body, whether I'm living or even if I have to die, I want Christ to be magnified. I want Christ to be magnified. I want to serve God in such a way that Jesus Christ is lifted up. I want people to know he's the priority. He's the priority in my life. In Philippians 3 verse 7, he says this, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. 
hey, you know, can I tell you today, Christ is the most important thing. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Hey, listen, I'm willing to give up everything and lose everything. I'm willing to lose friends. I'm willing to lose family. I'm willing to lose material things because Christ is the priority in my life. I'm willing to give it up. Second Corinthians, he says this in chapter 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live, listen to these words, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul says, listen, he's my savior. He, and we talked about that as we've gone through first, or Colossians chapter 1, and, and, and Christ should have preeminence because he's our Savior. And, and listen, I want, I want to live for him. I want to serve him with my life. So pri Paul's priority is serving the Savior, even to the point where, secondly, we see under this point here that he's willing to suffer to serve the Savior. Notice what he says in verse 24 who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings to serve Jesus. You know, God uses sufferings for our own good. We, we, we live in a day and age where people work harder to get out of work than they actually do their job. Like it's harder to, to get out of doing your job. I mean, if you just do your job, it'd be less stress and less frustration and easier for you. But, but we're just trying to do everything we can to get out of work. We do the same thing when it comes to the idea of suffering. Listen, I, and I understand we, we have bought into this, the, the American westernized mindset of the, the American dream and, and what it is to, to be comfortable and what we deserve. We, we believe we deserve comfort and, and lack of suffering in our life because of who we are and because of where we were born and because of our family and, and the community that we live in. We've bought into this mindset that we deserve something better. We deserve something better. And listen, Paul says, listen, I am a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. There's nobody greater on earth when it comes to the religious stuff, he says that, than I am. But he says, I'm willing to suffer. You know, God uses suffering sometimes for our own good. You know, God uses suffering at times for our own good. James says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but to let the patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Sometimes you're going to go through, through some, some suffering, some trials, some difficulties, simply because God wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to be mature. But you know what? We'd rather be comfortable and immature than go through some difficulties and allow God to do that maturing work in our life because we'd rather be comfortable than go through sufferings. We rejoice oftentimes in the hope of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about it. You think about it for just a moment. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. I love to say the statement, and I say it often, this world is the worst it's ever going to be for me as a Christian. I mean, this is as bad as it gets here. This is as bad as it's ever going to get. 
Think about that for just a moment. One day, I will be with him and I will be in heaven and all the glories that the Bible comes with it. For those without Christ, listen, this is the, this is the best it's ever going to be if you die in your sins. And you'll be in hell separated from God for all eternity. But for me as a Christian, I rejoice in the hope of heaven. Listen to Romans chapter 5 if you would. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But he goes on to say this, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hey, Paul says, listen, I glory in the fact that one day my eternal home is with God and I'm going to be in heaven. But can I tell you today, I'm glorying in the tribulations right now. Because God is using those tribulations, those trials, those sufferings uh, to work in my life. That word patience keeps coming up in, this, in these verses. That's a bad word, isn't it? <laughs> Nobody wants patience. It seems like we have to go through the trials and tribulations. But can I say, listen, we glory in the good things. Hey, man, it's great. We have a great church and people are kind and gracious and, and, and it's just friendly. And it's all, I mean, it's amazing. And we glory in the fact that, hey, we have the Bible and we're going to go to heaven and and, and all those type of things. Well, we kind of lose our mind when life becomes a little difficult and we have some tribulation. I think this is what Peter meant when he wrote in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. It's, hey, listen, we should rejoice in the sufferings of life because sometimes God uses those for our benefit. And you say, okay, pastor, I'm with you. I'm willing to suffer for my own benefit. I'm willing to suffer for my own benefit. But you know, that's not what Paul says in Colossians chapter one. Notice what he says there. I rejoice I rejoice in the suffering for you. I rejoice in the suffering for you. Can I tell you, Paul's mindset was such that he was willing to suffer for the benefits of others. Paul understood the magnitude of what it means to serve the Lord, and particularly preaching the gospel and ministering to others to the point where he was willing to suffer for them. We struggle in our day and age to slow down and hold the door open for somebody else whose hands are full. Because we're busy. We got stuff. I got, I got to get somewhere. I got, I got things to do. And, and, and we're, we're so consumed with ourself. And Paul says, I rejoice in suffering for you. Paul at this time was in prison. Why was he in prison? for preaching the gospel and starting churches and, and standing up against the leadership of their day and the political um, realm of that day. You know, when Paul uh, stood before political leaders, you know what he did? He didn't beg them to reduce taxes. He, he didn't bring up the, the, the issue of Social Security. I know he didn't have Social Security back then, but he still didn't bring up the issue. 
He, he didn't bring up the issue of illegal immigration. He didn't bring up uh, the, the, the political agendas of that day. You know what Paul did? He preached the gospel. Here, these guys, hey, they, they imprison him and they beat him and they bring him before the leadership. Why? For preaching the gospel. And what does he do? Preaches the gospel. It was Agrippa that said, almost thou persuadest me. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Why? Because Paul came in and, and continued to serve the Savior. The, the suffering didn't matter. The persecution didn't matter. He was serving Jesus and was willing to rejoice. Listen, it would have been a glorious day if Agrippa said, listen, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. It was a glorious day when he was there in the prison and, and the, the guard said, what must I do to be saved? It was a glorious day for Paul when he started churches in these cities and people, people came to Christ. And, and listen, he, he, he led people to Christ and he started churches and then he got persecuted and beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead. And guess what? He rejoiced in it all because that's what you needed. You know what our, our community needs is not another comfortable building to attend church. Hey, they don't need the, 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 the lights and the, the lively brightness and, 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 and they don't need our, our great personality. They can use our friendliness a little bit, but what they need is for us to serve the Lord and preach the gospel. Even in the midst of persecution, he went city to city preaching the gospel. In all these places, he suffered persecution. Can I ask you today, what would you do for the benefit of others? What would you be willing to go through for the benefit, for the benefit of others? I think this next phrase in this passage gives us a glimpse of why Paul was willing to do this. In verse 24, if he says, he says, he's now rejoice in his sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, if you were to go out and read some commentaries on this verse and this passage, there's a lot of different opinions about what Paul is actually talking about here. And, and, and we know that Christ's afflictions and his death on the cross was sufficient for our, for our salvation. And, 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 and there's many different views. But what I believe Paul is talking about is that, listen, Jesus Christ was willing to suffer and give his life for his church. And because I love Jesus so much, I'm willing, I love the things that Jesus loves, and I'm willing to give my life and suffer. We see that kind of in Paul's writings. Paul tells us that he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. We've already read those verses, but this is what he goes on to say in verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. We're all with him right there. Hey, I may know him. We want to know Jesus, and we want to know more about him and have that personal relationship with him, that I may know him. He goes on to say that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection. Hey, we want to we know the power of his resurrection. Hey, isn't it glorious that if you're a believer, one day you'll rise and, and you'll be with him. You'll meet him in the air and you'll be with him for all eternity and you'll see him and you'll be like him. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But then he goes on to say, and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, I believe that Paul cared for what Jesus cared about. And so Paul says here in this passage of Scripture that I rejoice in my sufferings for you as Christ suffered for the church, as Christ gave himself and, and suffered for the church. So I'm willing to do the same thing. Hey, can I ask you today, what are you willing to do for somebody else? What are you willing to do for the church? Man, there's this, this big struggle in our world today about the importance of the church. Hey, listen, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, and we're so flippant towards the, the church and, and, for, and towards other believers, but even the local body of believers. And, and, and what are we doing for the body of Christ? Hey, well, listen, I attend on Sunday morning. That should be good enough for you. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. What did Christ do? He gave his life for the body. Christ is the head of the, the what? The body, the church. Throughout this passage of Scripture, he talks about Christ having preeminent and being the head of the body and, and the, the authority over the body, over the church. Listen, the body of Christ is important to the Lord. And so Paul says the body of Christ is important important to me, even to the point where I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to suffer. I'm willing to suffer. You know, as believers, many today, I would say, struggle to even identify with the church. I'm not talking about this local church. I'm just talking about identifying with the church. Hey, how proud are we to be a Christian? How excited are we to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to associate with, with him and let everybody know that we're a believer. I referenced Alabama football. And um, I always love it when Alabama wins a championship for many reasons. But people will text me and say, hey, congratulations. And I always say, for what? What did I do? Like, I didn't call the plays. I definitely didn't run. Um, that's not happening. And uh, the football or anything like that. And it's like, but then I just say thanks. I, you know, I appreciate it. And I love it. People congratulate. When Alabama loses, oh, good night. I hate hearing from people. It's just, I mean, it's, it's annoying. I don't even want people to know why. Because they just love to, to love to rub it in. You know, we all have things that we like to associate with. We want people to know us for that. At the top of the list should be, hey, listen, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm part of, I'm redeemed, I'm saved, I'm, I'm a part of his church. Paul says, listen, I want everybody to know. Uh, it, even if it causes suffering, even if I'm gonna go through some difficulties, I'm okay with that. Because I wanna know the fellowship of his suffering. We see Paul's priority. I do have three more points, but they're shorter than, than that one. 
Number two, we see Paul's message. Paul's message. He says there in verse 23, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled, the idea there is a, is the, a first class conditional statement they say there. and it, we, It's kind of compared to when it says, if there be any consolation. The idea there is since there's consolation and since you're in Christ, is here is the idea, and you're grounded, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's Paul's message. If you'll jump down with me to verse number 25, he says, wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's message is not comfort and not peace and, and not you know, financial peace and not you know, just uh, having the blessings of this life. Paul's message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word dis- dispensation is where we get the idea of stewardship. It has the idea of, of, a, of a manager. You have been blessed with something and now you are the manager of that. And so Paul says, we have been entrusted with the greatest message ever given. The, the terminology he uses there, mystery, carries with the idea of something that was not known, but now it has been, it has been revealed. And so what is Paul revealing there? What, what is the message? Christ in you. Christ in you. Now, we, we have a lot of needs in our world today, and I don't want to diminish them. Uh, a lot of physical needs in our world today, political needs, um, health needs, mental needs. There's a lot of needs. And, and, and listen, as a church and as a, for, personally as a Christian, I want to be a blessing to people and help them with those needs where I can and have abilities to. But you know, the greatest need that they have is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, what's, how do you receive the hope of glory? How are you going to go to heaven? How are you going to have eternal life? It's Christ in you. And that's the gospel message that Paul has been preaching. That, that, is, that, is, the primary, that is the primary message. All of us have been called to uh, a vocation. We've all been called to a, a vocation. I've been called to, to be a pastor, and that's and I understand that most of us think this is my job, preaching, but there's so much more to it that goes into it. But my primary purpose and message as a Christian is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And for every Christian, our primary message is, is Christ in you. As we're serving Jesus, that has to be the primary focus of our message. Hey, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's not, listen, you need to change and you need to, to look like me and talk like me and act like me. And, and listen, the Holy Spirit needs to do that change in your life down the road. But the need that you have right now is Christ in you. You need to re- receive Jesus Christ as your Savior or else you're going to die and go to hell. Listen, people don't like that. Why do you think Paul was persecuted? Hey, you just go up to somebody and tell them how terrible they are and how wicked they are. Guess what? They're not going to like you very much because they think they're amazing. They think that they're great. But they, what they need to hear is that they're a sinner dying on their way to hell. And the only way that's going to be taken care of is through Jesus Christ. And that was the message of the Apostle Paul. And he'd go into a city. And, and what does the Bible say? He'd go to the synagogue. And what would he do? He'd preach the gospel. And then he'd be kicked out. And he'd preach the gospel in the streets. And then he'd be persecuted. And God would lead him to another city. He'd go to the synagogue. And what did he do? 
Hey, hey, he didn't listen, go through the religious activity and make buddies with all the people. He preached the gospel. And guess what happened? They kicked him out of the synagogue because they didn't like his message. And then he preached in the city and then he was kicked out and went over and over. Everywhere he went, he would go and, and preach the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Paul's message. Number three, we see Paul's purpose. Christ in you. Christ in you, he says there at the end of verse 27. And then in verse 28, he says, whom we preach, warning every man. Here's my purpose. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul's purpose was everywhere he goes to lead people to Christ and then help them mature in Christ, that he might present them. Everywhere he went, he wanted to, to win people to Christ. That was, that was his purpose. Hey, can I tell you, listen, no matter what your career is, your purpose is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the deacon's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's not your parents' job. It's all of our jobs. As a believer in Jesus Christ, our purpose is to reach people, and we've lost that. We, we, we've lost that. We, 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 we have this formal religion and we have our schedules and we have our activities that we're involved in. And, and listen, don't push me out of my comfort zone. Listen, don't push me out of, listen, I, I do the things you ask. I go to the marriage retreats and I'm involved in the activities and my kids go to youth group and all that. That's enough. Listen, that's not enough because our purpose is Christ in you for people to come to Jesus Christ as their savior. That should be our purpose in life. But everything else is our purpose. Everything else is our purpose. Listen, I coach high school basketball. Listen, it's easy for me to get wrapped up. My purpose is to win. My purpose is to win. My purpose is to win. That's not my purpose. That's not my purpose. My purpose is that these young men come to know Jesus Christ as their savior and they mature in their faith. That's the purpose. Hey, listen, my purpose is music. Hey, we're gonna win the competition and we're gonna go to FABA and we're gonna win and we're gonna go to nationals and we're gonna win. Listen, that's not your purpose. The purpose is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, the purpose of teenagers, hey, these senior adults, they need something to do on Tuesdays. Hey, listen, so let's give them something to do or else they're gonna run the streets and get in trouble. You know how wild these people are. <laughs> listen, the purpose in teenagers isn't to feed them. It's, to, it's Christ in you and then help them mature in their faith. And a couple of them, I'm looking around, got a long way to go. I mean, I'm looking this way, Ralph. Our purpose is Christ and you and the maturing. That's, that's the purpose that we have in life. And, 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 and we have lost that as individual believers. And therefore, we've lost it so often as a, as a church, as a whole. And then we see, number four, as we finish up, Paul's commitment. We've already looked at his suffering. He was so committed to this message in this ministry of serving the Lord and preaching the gospel and reaching people and starting churches that he was willing to suffer. But notice what he says in verse 29. Whereunto, listen, what I'm telling you, I'm willing, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That idea of labor means to toil to the place of exhaustion. Toil to the place of exhaustion. 
Basically, what, Paul, what is Paul saying? Listen, I'm tired. I'm tired. But it's worth it. I'm willing to be tired. I'm willing to lose sleep. I'm willing to give up things. I'm willing to give of myself. Often in Paul's writings, he uses this verbiage of laboring for the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul says, listen, I am willing to labor, to toil to the place of exhaustion to serve my Savior. He says striving. That word striving has the idea of agonizing. He, 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 he agonized. Agonized. Why? Because it's my purpose. It's the work that I'm called to do. And then I love how he ends this chapter here. He says, there, I'm striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Physically, Paul is exhausted. He's laboring, he's serving, he's giving all he has. But you know, he found his refreshment in the Lord. You know, many people seek a lot of things and they sacrifice and they labor and they finally get to that point. And we've heard stories and testimonies of just no satisfaction. Hey, I made it to where I wanted to be in my position, and, or I, I, I gained the, the material things of this world that I wanted to gain, and, and guess what? Solomon told him long ago, it's all vanity. It's all, it, it's all vanity. There's no joy, there's no rejoicing, there's no comfort, there's emptiness. But Paul says, listen, I'm striving and toiling to the point of exhaustion. But my refreshment doesn't come from the people, the progress, the things of this world, but it comes through the Lord who strengthens me. Jesus told his disciples, all power is given unto me. Listen, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He works in us. And we, we love to quote the verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We, we love to quote that when we're, we're running a race or we're trying to do a big project or something in the world. R literally, basically what Paul is saying, listen, I can do all that God has called me to do because he's the one that strengthens me. And it's the same thing that he's telling us here. Listen, the work that I'm called to do, he's working in me. He's working through me. Galatians chapter six says this, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Paul gives us this idea of farming and reaping and sowing and the work that goes into it. And he says, listen, don't faint. Don't faint. That sounds easy, right? Don't faint. Don't faint. Paul, you don't understand how hard it is and how difficult it is. No, Paul knows. Paul knows. But he also knows that the only way we're going to do the work is in the power of the Lord. 
And many times we struggle because we live in our flesh, we serve in our flesh, we do in our flesh instead of the power of the Lord. And this goes back to what we looked at last week when Paul said, listen, we have to have dependence on him. He's got to have first place in our life. And what happens is, is we're tired from raising our children, we're tired from our job, we're tired from people, we're tired of people, we're tired of these, of all the frustrations of life, and then we tack Jesus on. We tack Jesus on to everything else that we're tired of. And we're already tired and we're already worn out. Why? Because our priorities are messed up. We're consumed with all of these things instead of serving the Lord. Our focus in life is about all of these other things instead of serving the Lord and reaching people with the gospel. Now, I told you at the beginning of the message, the greatest need, the greatest message that this world needs to have is the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins, he was buried, and that he rose again, and that if they will turn from their sin and by faith receive him, they could have eternal life. That is the message that the world needs. But you know what the church needs to hear? The greatest need for the world is for you and for I to serve the Savior. Get over ourselves and start serving the Lord, realizing that he is to have first place in our life and he has called us to be his servants. And the message and the priority is Christ in you. Listen, the greatest need for you in life is not to have more Twitter followers than everybody else. Listen, don't, fi don't find your validation in how many Facebook friends you have. First of all, Facebook only lets you get 5,000, then everybody caps off after that. But listen, 4,998 4, of those people don't even like you. So let's be real. But we find our validation in that. Listen, that's not our focus. Our focus isn't what people think about us, whether they like us. One of the biggest problems we have in our world today is parents are so consumed with what their kids think about them. My job isn't to make sure my kids like me. My job is to make sure they know Jesus Christ is their Savior and they grow up and mature in their faith and serve the Lord. That's my number one responsibility. My responsibility is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And listen, the church, we as individual Christians, we need to get a hold of that mindset. And imagine what it would do to our church if that was our, our focus uh, corporately and what it would do to our community if that was our focus. As we left these walls, we went out and said, listen, my purpose in life is to preach the message that God has given me, reach people with the gospel. Hey, listen, God's given me a career. I'm going to use that career, but I, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to reach people with the gospel because you know what the, the people in my office need? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what people in my classroom need? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, listen, your students need Jesus Christ more than they need to know two times two. They need to know two times two, but they need Jesus more than they need that. Let's be realistic. Christ in you, but we've lost sight of that. We, we've lost sight of that. We just want to have good citizens and make sure that they're not going to prison and all that good stuff. They need Jesus Christ. Serving the Savior. That's what Paul says. That's why I'm here. I'm willing to suffer for it. Why? Because he's number one. He's preeminent. So ask yourself today, is Jesus first place? It's an easy test. Are you serving him with your life? What are you consumed with in your life? What's your priority in your life? It's not that difficult to figure out, is Jesus Christ first in my life?